Oh, God. Wrong! It should be like this. It should be like this. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to episode... 15 of the Tech Podology <laughs> Podcast. I'm Darren Nash. <laughs> I'm John Conway. And on this episode, we'll be discussing, and like that, do it like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. Okay. In this, and in this episode, we so shall we do it? Let's go. <laughs> no, that was it. <laughs> great, great. So in this episode, <clears throat> what the hell, should we just launch into it? So, yeah. Okay. Oh well, you could you could run down the topics again, but I think you already did that. Oh God! Okay, it's better George... if it's not rehearsed, Darren. It sounds it's better. Not, but it's just just more professional. Just yeah, but more stru- we're not aiming for a professional. I know, podcast. I know. It's just and I, just, I'll, I, just... I will stop doing it if you want to do that because it feels like a big stress. <laughs> I just listened to <laughs> I listened to some of episode one last night, and you realize it starts with five minutes of laughing. Yes. <laughs> Okay, and, so that was, and that was us <laughs> attempting to be professional with like an introduction and stuff. It's a disaster. Let's not do that. And that, and that was our best episode. <laughs> um, okay, so everyone's talking about these conjoined grey whale twins that have just been found, recently found um, off Baja California. Um, Siamese whale twins, they're dead, and it's not known whether they were you know, aborted dead um, or what, but um, very sad. Um, yeah, and check it out. The, the, there's lo- lots of photos online. Um, it's being said, as, as is always the case, it's being said this is the world first and that oh, nobody's ever heard of anything like this before. Wrong! <laughs> I refer to the, the <laughs> 1969 paper published in that poorly known obscure journal Nature titled Siamese Twins in the Say Whale, published by A. Kawa- Kawamura, um, describing... Um, um, uh, Siamese twins in the the say whale discovered on a well they were discovered on a Japanese whaling vessel, but obviously hunted from the sea uh, and presumably stripped from the body of their still warm mother. Um, so yeah, so that's that's quite a lot of people talking about that. And on Facebook we have lots of people. Um, Marcus Buller, thank you very much, Marcus, and Memo, who everyone knows and loves, and um, Cameron McCormick. Did he contribute? Nah, no, he didn't. He's obviously in bed, slacker. But um, happy birthday, Cameron, for yesterday. Um, people saying that we should talk about freak whales because this is like so Siamese twins. Yeah, you're going to get that all over the place, aren't you? But there's also quite a few freak whales on record with things like yeah, two dorsal fins. There's there's quite a few um, whales that have been reco- reported anecdotally over the years, supposedly seen with two dorsal fins. And in recent years, two there whales have been- next to each other. Well, that's the conventional explanation for these things. That that's what yeah. that, that's what people were seeing. That um, oh, it's just a mistake. But some of the descriptions are good enough for people to think. No, actually, they probably were really describing a freak with with two dorsal fins. And in recent years, people have photographed indisputable whales with two dorsal fins. There was a bottlenose dolphin published that I photographed a couple of years ago, who, without any shadow of a doubt, definitely has two dorsal fins. And there are now several humpback whales that have been photographed. Of course, their dorsal fin is a low thing on their big hump. Um, but there's a couple of ones that have been photographed where 
there's the, the small triangular fin, and then in front of that, there's just a, a, a small second secondary dorsal fin. So technically, they got two dorsal fins. Although some people suggest it's actually a split fin, which is then grown to look like two, but I don't buy that. It really does look like two. Um, then there are freak sp- sperm whales. Everything about sperm whales is fascinating. Everything about their anatomy, I mean, just amazing animals. Um, a single S-shaped blowhole located at the extreme... Uh, front and left-hand side of the giant square-shaped head they've got. Uh, but there's one, and then they've got two giant um, uh, uh, nasal passages that have different roots through the uh, through the um, the junk and the spermaceti organ in the head. You know, I could talk for ages about sperm whales. But, um, but there's some freak individuals that have had paired nostrils. There's, like, I think, two specimens on record that have been found with paired nostrils, um, which is kind of like... I don't know if that's sort of like an atavism because that's the expected ancestral condition. Well, all toothed whales, all odontocetes have got single blowholes. Mysticetes, I always want to say mysticetes, mysticetes, baleen whales, they've got two, they've got paired <laughs> nostrils. But um, but yeah, there's there's these few freak sperm whales with paired nostrils as well. So that's, that's incredible. And then... Um, so obviously, it's quite well known there are freak whales and dolphins that have been found with hind fins. There's a few like sperm whales and humpback whales and right whales that have been found with partial hind limbs, sometimes even including knees and tibiae. And I think there's a record of, I think, a humpback whale with a partial foot. I'd have to check up on that. That's something crazy. And then there's a bottlenose dolphin. I think it was a bottlenose dolphin published about 2006 that had paired hind fins. And you remember we were talking about illustrating this for the Cryptozoologicon. Mm. Um, because it's been suggested that uh, the few like mystery monster things, carcasses found on beaches, like Gambo, the big beast of Bungalow Beach, could that possibly have been a freaked, a freak whale, a whale with paired hind fins as well as four fins? Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know. But, but we do know that such whales... It is, it is odd that if... Uh, when you do get uh, a limb on a um, on a whale, it seems to be like you were saying, one with a knee. It's not a it's not a fin, is it? So it'd be interesting if you get both fins and these. What, what's the what's the actual proper word for these um, expressed ge- um, morphological conditions, which are clearly in the genes, but they're turned off? What, what is, is there what? a special word for it? Isn't it's it? Isn't be. it atavism? Isn't it? Is it? Well, it is when people talk about, you know, tails on humans and stuff. I think they just call them atavisms. Yeah, okay. So, doesn't um, sound right, does it? Well, but yes, well, I suppose you're right. You can also call them teratologies. You know, a, a teratology is just a kind of like monstrous deformation. Defor- <laughs> deformity. Deformity, I think, is the word I'm looking for there. But I think it's what's weird is that, and to understand this, you need to look into the genetics, is that some whales, some of these freak whales, do have kind of like a little stumpy limb that doesn't look at all like a a hydrodynamic, uh, you know, a, 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 a thing that resembles the, the four fins that they have. But then, uh, and, in, and that could be an atavism because we know from fossil whales of the Eocene, Bacillosaurus and so on, 40 million years old or so, we know that they actually had little tiny foldable hind limbs with knees and ankles and toes. They didn't go through a stage where they, so far as we know, cetaceans didn't go through a stage where their hind fins evolved into hydrodynamic flippers. Mm. They, it seems instead that they, they reduced the hind 
limbs in size until they were these stumpy little things possibly used in it's been suggested that they were used in like um guiding their bodies during mating that sort of thing but they they're, they're like little little limbs with with knees and ankles and toes they weren't flippers and then it seems that they shrunk those down in size and then appear to have lost them we don't have any indication from the fossil record that they actually went through a stage when they had hydrodynamic flippers for hind fins. But that bottlenose dolphin, photographed in something like 2006, 2007, I can't remember now, but that animal did have paddles, hind limb paddles, hydrodynamic things resembling the forefins, which makes you wonder, and I don't know, I don't know whether anyone's investigated this, but it makes you wonder whether that is a... Hox gene duplication thing, you know, it's mm. a, it's a genetic duplication. What's it called? Um, a serial homologue style, ra- rather than rather than just a freak atavism. But um, I don't know what the story is there, and I don't know if anybody knows, and I don't know if this has been investigated. I, I haven't. I'm not aware of any papers on this because I think what tends to happen, the freak whales with partial hind limbs. There's one or two that have been written up as papers. There's like a paper from the 1920s or whatever where they say, oh, wow, you know, whale with a hind limb, here's a description of it. But the more recent cases, they don't, to my knowledge, they don't keep samples and people don't do genetic analyses on them or any, any of that kind of stuff. And the animals have, you know, been dead for a while anyway. So interesting subject and we don't know that much about it. Mm. So, yeah. Neither do I. And a lot of it seems to be buried in genetics, which is a complete mystery to me. <laughs> Black box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so conjoined whale twins, that's all over the place at the moment, and uh, yeah, freaked whales, and yes, lots of lots of stuff you could you could say there. Um, uh, and much of which you just said. Much of which you just said, and then there's also like freak albinos and albino whales and whales. With, oh, oh, one thing I think is worth saying is that um, when a freak animal turns up in the modern age and a freak animal in the Pacific, people immediately, I think one of the first things I saw about this this uh these siamese twin whales is the first comment i saw was someone mentioning it in conjunction with fukushima is that the name of the japanese um um nuclear um reactor yeah Yeah. that was the first thing i saw it's like when people see these things the first thing they think is you know genetic mutation caused by radiation and it's like well yeah we do know that that you know there's make no mistake um pollution of the world radio radioactive um the effects of radiation and blah 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 you know all these things do have horrible effects on animals but horrible things happen to animals anyway and just because you find a freak don't don't go thinking that it's something to do with necessarily something bad that that people have done to the world it can (laughs) indeed yes uh i'm not an expert on the fukushima disaster or anything like that but also, what you've got to keep in mind is that these things are dissipated very quickly and a little background radiation is normal everywhere and there are places where there's a lot of background radiation from natural sources. So it, it just doesn't seem very likely that you'd get... You know, the animals would have to be breeding in the immediate area of the radiation leak for this to be noticeable, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, uh, I don't yeah. think that's, that's the case with many like whales and things, right? They move around too much. Well, especially because these animals are on the uh, American side of the, the Pacific. Um, but but the, my, the broader point in any case is that I, I've got no idea what the statistics are. Kind of interesting to know, but, but the number of 
um, you know, mutant babies that that die or become aborted naturally, I think in most animals is kind of higher than you expect it to be. Yeah. Um, I, I got. I don't want to say anything because I'm sure I'll get it wrong. You know, is it like one in a hundred or one in fifty or something? But it's it's enough for it to be a pretty common thing in our species and all other animals. There's there's um, you know things go wrong during the development of the embryo and things <laughs> Indeed, things yeah. don't pan out. So so yeah, you, you've got to expect freaks like that. Um, is it fair to call Siamese twins freaks? I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't feel politically correct. But, uh, um, different, um, unusual individuals of that kind. Well, they're, they're not individuals, are they? Because you could divide them. Um, well, that's a trick. Well, no, Siamese twins, because it's, it's two organisms that are still separate and would have separate personalities and stuff. So, um, so what, the, the interesting thing about this that leads on from this is that it's... I've heard they might be dire vigils. I think. <laughs> well, maybe I've heard that in some species, um, cows are one of them. There's an extraordinary number of um, now. What's the name for it? Where one there's two developing eggs, two developing embryos, and one of them absorbs the other one. So, but completely absorbs the other one. Mm. So basically, the the baby that's that's born is actually um, developmentally includes data includes um, uh, genes from two or even more individuals, and there yeah. are some yeah, indications that that's like really common that a huge percentage in some species of babies that are born, the ones that survive, are um, yeah, actually like, incorporate. They're like super conjoined twins. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So they're conjoined in a way that they've end up being exactly one. Um, uh, this ha this happens in humans too. I read about it a yes. while ago. I won't talk about it very much because I don't really, I don't. I'm very unsure of my ground, but it, it does happen in humans, doesn't it? And you can get people that are uh, are conjoined from. They don't have to be identical twins, is that right? You can happen to fraternal twins. I think I think it can happen basically any kind of yeah. Any, so there, there end, was you can end you up with people that are blended like they've got different hair color and things like this. Yeah, so there's, yeah, we, we, I think it's pretty obvious that we don't know exactly what we're talking yeah. about. This is just an aside. But I know there's para parasitic twins where there's, there's like one, there was, there's a case where there's one um, uh, human inside another one. Uh, because somehow during formation, one, one blastula like somehow like sort of absorbed. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw a documentary about this. And what yeah, happens so, is that they detach in the night and then they go and kill people. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there was a documentary about this. I can't remember what it was called, but it was about parasitic twins. And this kid of about, I don't know, like eight or nine or ten years old went to the doctor with some like thing they thought was a herniation and it proved to be a parasitic twin, a ball-shaped human that was inside his abdomen. And like now, obviously... That ball-shaped parasitic twin did not undergo. Okay, so far as I know, so far as we know, that per, that individual, that human, didn't go through the normal developmental process in order to become like a develop a functionally normal human child of equivalent age to its twin. But it was still a person. And what what a frightening concept! The idea that there are ball-shaped people that can live in that are living inside others and and i don't know do they have consciousness 
I mean, babies before they're born are conscious and are aware of their surroundings and stuff. So this is, oh, it's, I, I just. Well, I think, yeah, it depends on their brain development, doesn't it? Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Just yeah. Look at that. Yes. So chimera yeah. genetics. Yes. Yeah. So, so the con, so the concept that, that some animals, some cows, some people, whatever, the idea that they're chimeri composing the, the, the genes of, or the cells of, of more than one individual, that means that the thing that's walking around looking like an individual genetically is more than one individual because it's like absorbed a twin or twins. So it's actually like a series of individuals. And yes. I'm not, I, I don't have any important point to make there, but that's kind of like a, a weird well, thing. I'm reading the Wikipedia article here. Um, a Dutch sprinter, Fokji, Fokji? Oh, really? <laughs> Dilemma. Really? Dilemma? Was expelled, <laughs> expelled from the 1950 National Olympic team after he refused a mandatory sex test. Um, later investigations revealed Y chromosomes in her body cells, and analysis showed she was probably a 46XX46XY mosaic female. Oh, wow. So there you go. So and you there must get, be. Yeah, mosaics of quite different. Um, genes obviously well right. somewhat different okay. genes so yes well so there we go so we've gone from talking about siamese twins in wales to uh yeah um i wanted to mention the the new i, I kind of think we should like some sometimes briefly mention new discoveries they're particularly exciting and particularly if they've been oh, on i think so yeah technical zoology so so the the new tape here tapras kabamani published in i think december um if you haven't seen um, yeah, if you haven't seen that on Tetrapod Zoology or it's a few other sites have covered it online, check it out. A new species of tapir, a fifth species of tapir, um, which is incredible discovery for um, whatever year last year was, 2013, I think. Um, a, a tapir, just wow. I, know, I like quite a few people. I've known about this for, for a while. I happen to know that the authors went through a lot of trouble in actually getting it published. Uh, they've been, the paper's been kicking around for years. And um, the, the, the whole story is kind of linked to um, Marcus van Roosmalen's um, d- claimed discovery of another new species of tapir. Now, I've, ri- I've written about Marcus van Roosmalen's stuff back, way back in 2007 or something because he claims that he's got a huge number of new um, Amazonian mammals. He's well known for having published quite a new quite a, n- a number of new Amazonian primates, mostly marmosets and tamarins. Um, but it's thought that a lot of the animals he says are new probably aren't. They probably are like local variants or sometimes they're just like he's made a mistake. They're like the, the, the Amazonian dwarf manatee, you know, this was mentioned in the Cryptozoological Notch memo I was talking about it, and this new taper he's got, they probably are new species. They're based on juveniles and he's probably made a mistake. But um, his... Type species, his type specimen rather, for his new tapir. Van Roosman said he had a new tapir. His type specimen is almost certainly a juvenile of the best known South American tapir, the so-called Brazilian or lowland tapir. But he did collect a load of like anecdotal apocryphal evidence from local people, which talks about a distinct form of small, very dark tapir, which may actually refer to this new species, Tapras cabamani. So Van Roosmalen may have collected data 
on this new species, but kind of he kind of like lost this one because he didn't have a type specimen that actually was really a new species. Whereas these other guys, Mario Coswell and colleagues, they do have type material that is clearly of a new species. Mm. And, and, and it's, and it's worked out in terms of like, you know, the genetics of it and it's distinct morphologically. Whereas Van Roosevelt's one, um, wasn't, but, um, so what's exciting about this new tape here then? Well, the whole concept that you can find an animal as big as a tapir. Yeah, well, other than that, that, nothing's pretty boring, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new tapir. It's a a hundred kilo mammal from, from, uh, um, yeah, discovered in, in, well, discovered in 2006, 2007, whatever. But they say that um, there's actually old specimens of this thing that are sitting in museums, like there's one in New York in the AMNH which was collected in the 1940s by um, Roosevelt. So um, this is one of those animals that we've actually known about for a while. It's just we've, we've overlooked it. And it seems to be quite widespread. They, um, they've got specimens from southwest Brazil and also from way up in the north from oh, somewhere near... Oh, I, I don't. I can't remember if it's Colombia or somewhere near the border of um, Peru, or possibly even in Peru. I can't remember. But whatever it's, and then I think there's also a record from way over in the far east of Brazil as well. You can Why hear the gear. You can hear the gears turning in your head when you have to do spatial stuff. It's like oh, east, west, north, south. Oh my head! It hurts. <laughs> yeah thanks for that yeah, yeah, yeah. did i did i did i yeah I, it made I, sense I, it made sense you made sure you got it right it was good. i got it right i got it right because i because i'm really bad at that kind of stuff I, I really i'm really able to farm my own house when i go out and stuff like that but um yeah and okay so so there you go tape here Da-da, that's good news that is, yes well is it good news because that's just another thing to go extinct rather rapidly isn't it <laughs> <laughs> um it's kind of if there are distinct taxa out there um i think it's kind of important that we know about them so that we can actually try and do something about them their conservation status yes but a lot of people would say there's some things we don't want to know important things <laughs> stuff we don't want to know so of course a simpsons this, this... quote Darren. that was a simpsons quote oh silly old me not knowing the simpsons hey have you heard about apparently there's a like Le- lego are doing the simpsons range simpsons lego is weird simpsons lego what will happen yeah like... all right check it out if, if there's a this i don't know if it's for real or not but uh, yeah um so th- that seamlessly moves us into this another newsy thing i wanted to mention now we've we've we devoted a whole episode to bigfoot and of course, we often talk about cryptozoology, and of course, the Cryptozoologicon, our outstanding new book, which has gotten rave reviews, apart from one or two hilariously biased. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a new, there's a new, um, a newish, um, a, a bunch of images of a supposed Bigfoot carcass, which have been kicking around for oh, a couple I of weeks. I haven't weeks seen now. this. Okay. Oh, it's hilarious. Rick Dyer, uh, Rick Dyer. This guy claims that um, I think the story is that it wasn't actually found like within recent weeks that they got this carcass a couple of years ago and they've kept it frozen and they've only just thawed it out and now they're releasing the photographs because it's all because it's real and as soon as they put the picture online the very first picture it's like 
that, that's a really bad model that someone's made. You can see they've, they've really tried really hard, but it's no good in terms of looking like an actual animal for lots of reasons. And Rick Dyer is one of the several people associated with the alleged Georgia Bigfoot carcass of 2008, which turned out to be exactly the same thing as a, a model, a really badly done model. That um, In that particular case, I think they put rabbit guts inside <laughs> it and froze it and, uh, and then held a press oh, was conference. That, was that that and, suit that they put the rabbit guts in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that yeah. was that was really terrible. Yeah, so this, um, is, well, this is the same. This is equally bad. So, um, and it's gotten a lot of. I'm quite surprised the amount of interest it's got actually. But uh, people love a good carcass, don't they? Um, but the, uh, that what I don't know the story. You probably know it better. Uh, the there was that carcass floating around for ages. It's in all the old classic mystery books, and it looks really good. Uh, the Minnesota um, Iceman. The Minnesota Iceman. That's the one. Yeah. That's a brilliant story. I love that story. Um, well, should we talk about that briefly? Yeah, let's talk so, about them in a Okay, so I have not done any research. I always need to read up on these things because I can't remember the names. But um, this guy, I've forgotten his name, he was, I, I want to say Frank Hanson. I don't know. I, that may be right. That may not. Whatever. Um, he basically um, was doing a, a tour of carnival showgrounds with this thing, the Minnesota Iceman, said it was a frozen... Like uh, there was an ape man type creature, and it was brought to the attention of Ivan T. Sanderson, well known guy who wrote loads of books on mystery animals. If you if you know anything about cryptozoology, he's he's like you know his his name is in everything. Um, he wrote popular books and he was on TV quite a lot. And I have quite a, quite a few problems with his uh, some of the stuff he said. He wasn't whatever. I don't want to talk about him. Um, he also told. Bernard Hoovermans, who you'll know, again, famous guy associated with cryptozoology, probably the most famous cryptozoologist ever. And Sanderson and Hoovermans went to see the Minnesota Iceman. And, um, Sorry. <sighs> Normally I have that off, but there you go. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, Ed, Ed Sanderson, Sanderson, go back to Sanderson and Hoovermans. So Sanderson brought Hooverman's attention to this, and they went and spent, I think, a couple of days with this carcass frozen in ice, and they became convinced that it was like a genuine hominid carcass. And I'm pretty sure it is Hanson. I have got the name right. Hanson said that he gave – he over the years, he gave them like several different um, stories as to its origin. Um, it was claimed at various times to have been shot in North America. It apparently been shot because there was like a big wound in the back of its head that had blasted out one of its eyes, and its eyeball was literally like hanging out of its face. It's it's preserved with one of its arms behind its head, and the other one kind of over its with its hand on its belly. Um, but Hansen said that it had also been smuggled out of Vietnam or one of those a country nearby in a body bag as if it was an American soldier, and that's how it had gotten into the. Um, United States. It was said to be owned by a wealthy anonymous um, owner, who I'm going to out. I'm going to out the person here. I know who owned it. It was supposed to be owned by Jimmy Stewart, who um, the actor who is well known for having a major interest in Bigfoots and Yetis and all that kind of stuff. He's involved in the procurement of several other uh, alleged bits of evidence pertaining to Yetis and stuff. And, um, okay, so Sanderson and Hoovermans, they thought this thing was real, and they published a couple of technical articles. Hoovermans published a, a technical paper in a, a Belgian zoology journal naming it as a new subspecies of Neanderthal. 
Homo Neanderthalensis. Uh, can't remember. Modernicus or something? I don't know. But, he, but yeah, he thought it was for real and um, described the, 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 the anatomy of stuff. And nobody else accepted this because it was just generally thought this a sideshow exhibit. It's got to be a dummy. And when other people, there are lots of photographs of this thing taken over the years. And the photographs definitely show like variation in what it looks like. Its posture is different. The, the look of, in some of them, you can't see its teeth. Its mouth is closed. In others, the mouth's open. You can see the teeth. And um, there is, there was really good talk I went to a few years ago, given by a guy called Paul Vella, who's really interested in Bigfoot and all that stuff. And he, I can't remember who the story was about, but he, he related an anecdote in which someone went to Hansen's place, the guy's meant to own this model, well, Hanson's meant to be looking after it on behalf of Jimmy Stewart. And the model was in the garage, thawed out. And it was a rubber model. And he could, like, you know, had bendy limbs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, of course, who knows where the carcass is now? I think the carcass. Who knows where the thing is now? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's, like, a modern version of it that's, that's you can go and see. I, I don't know. I don't, don't think so. But um, I think it's pretty obvious that it is what it sounds like. It was a, a dummy. Uh, frozen in ice and used as a sideshow exhibit. And Sanderson and Hoovermans were duped. Um, I mean, they were tricked into thinking this was this was real. Um, but one of the reasons that they said it was real is that when they were actually there's photographs of Hoovermans actually like lying on top of the the glass case, you know, peering through the ice. And they said that, well, surprise, surprise, when he did that, he cracked the glass and the smell came out and it was the smell of decomposing flesh. And that's how they knew it was real. But if it's made of some kind of like crappy latexy stuff, well, that reeks. That, yes. that doesn't smell good. And I've heard it suggested that maybe the smell, the aroma, whatever, was um, maybe they were tricked. Maybe it was, you know, some gone off latexy stuff so yeah the minnesota ice well, man yeah i mean clearly whatever model it was uh, looking at photos of it it looks uh, a lot of the photos it looks pretty good right i mean it was clearly there was a lot of effort in put in the idea that they wouldn't put effort into extra dupage by a smell or something but that, oh that's impossible it's silly isn't it <laughs> crazy yeah yeah it's uh, very easy to dupe people I, it, the very notion, uh, I think, it, like, why did these guys not say, well, if we're not allowed to thaw it out or take samples, then, you know, <laughs> it's not. It's just, it's just unbelievable naivety. As we, as we say, okay, so people that have read the Cryptozoologicon, and that's a percentage of our listenership, obviously, but... Um, <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll, know, <laughs> you'll know what... Because we say quite a lot in there about these two individuals, about Sarnison and Hoovermans. And I think I've said this before. Uh, I, I think I said this in the Monster Talk podcast I did with Blake Smith. Uh, and I might have said it in the, the one we did, the show we did in Me with, with Memo, but whatever. Sanderson and Hoovermans are regarded by cryptozoologists as these mighty, brilliant researchers, as these like really smart guys who did cutting-edge research and were really good and, and just were generally brilliant, and we should listen to what they said. Well, what I want to say now is that forget it, okay? Both of those guys were, they were loons. They were, they were, <laughs> Sanderson 
was like uh, no, I, I think I'm pretty sure this is in the the um, the introduction in the Cryptozoological. There's no doubt that both these guys are like walking encyclopedias that they know tons and tons of stuff about the animal world and biology and zoology. Not doubting that for a second. But in terms of their general ability to apply critical thinking, to be appropriately skeptical, and just to generally, you know, vet things and come up with sensible ideas, it's fail, fail, fail every time. Both of these guys come up with like a whole string of nonsense, stuff that's not supported by, well, isn't supported by evidence, doesn't seem consistent with the evidence that we have. And they say stuff that's just like, yeah, just all over the place. So um, the, we, we really should be very skeptical, very critical when we read anything. When you see anything and it's like, oh, when Ivan Sanderson said, it's like, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing that Ivan Sanderson said that because immediately alarm bells are ringing. You know, not only did he claim to see upteen mystery creatures, which maybe, you know, he, he, he traveled a lot and he saw a lot of crazy stuff. Maybe he did see loads of mystery creatures. His list of animals that he's supposed to have seen, cryptids, is suspiciously high. And they include things like the giant Florida penguins, which there was a, there was a craze in Florida. People thought they were like 15-foot-tall penguins coming out on the beaches and leaving tracks. Um, and he, he saw like giant bats and giant pink salamanders and loads of other creatures. He saw all that stuff. But he also documented, he also mentions in his books, numerous observations of known species things that nobody else has ever seen ever and again i can benefit of the doubt i can accept that well people see weird things all the time you know if you watch if you watch humpback whales for 20 years of your life you're going to see a hundred things that maybe nobody else ever does but you're not going to see insanely weird stuff every single time you look at anything and from his descriptions it's like every single time i see in books all the time people say there is one report of Yada yada yada. One report of a, a Sicilian being angry with the with a human approaching it and spitting out a little pus of, a big ball of mucus. Like, wow, really? Sicilians can do that? And then you'll see Sanderson, nineteen thirty five. <laughs> the only person that ever saw this was Ivan T. Sanderson. And 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 there's quite a lot of quite a lot of this stuff out there. So I yeah. think I've I think I've made my point, haven't I? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I don't want to seem like I'm slagging these people off. I don't like being rude about people, especially seeing as they're neither of them are with us anymore. But um, and and I have a certain amount of respect for them. But, um, well, yeah, but, but they were loons, so. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, show's going to do so much. So much was yeah. Mm. Mm. What you call it? I don't know. I don't know where you're going. <laughs> I wonder if every single time we do an episode, we dig the hole that we're in becomes deeper because we manage to dig dig deeper more, or we get more and more people hate us. So let's talk about the hating. So the cryptozoologicon, cryptozoologicon, mm. it generally people have said fantastic things about it. I think the on Amazon, the it's got like a, currently four point five stars rating. I think is about right. But yep. there's um, it's inevitable that when you write something like that, we even say this in the book because we knew this would happen. It's inevitable that you will get a couple of people that hate you and hate what you say, particularly if you slag off cryptozoology and say nasty things about Sanderson and Hoovermans and you say that Bigfoot probably ain't real. Um, so we knew that we'd get some, some hating. And we've got, we've got one, is it a two-star review or a three-star review where one person says, oh, I don't really know what to make of this book. That's their general gist of it. I'm not really sure how I yeah. think about it. That's fair enough. But then we've yeah. got another one. Go on, you talk about this. <laughs> 
Well, I'm, a, I'm actually a bit surprised that this is the first thing we got, because I thought, yeah, given that we're quite critical of cryptozoology, I thought we'd get a lot more cryptozoologists saying, oh, they're wrong about this, they're wrong about that, they're dismissive, and what about all the evidence, man? And instead, we, hang on, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to actually get it up here, because it's, well, cri- well, yeah, some let me of say- it is quite funny. The reason that we haven't heard back, we haven't had much commentary from actual people who call themselves cryptozoologists is because they haven't read this. Yeah, and they, they, read like, it, yeah. they won't read it. Um, and I know because I've asked a couple of them, you might have seen that I've engaged with Lauren Coleman on Twitter and asked, he did, a, he did an article about like the best cryptozoology books of 2013. And it wasn't mm-hmm. even mentioned. And I'm like, I'm not as arrogant to think that oh, it's got to be regarded as one of the best. But when he's including in his list books that literally got one star reviews and are renowned as like awful. Why is he like <laughs> bigging those up? And it's not even mentioning us. Okay. You could say that ours only came out in December. So in all fairness yeah. to him, maybe he like did, literally didn't have time, but I'm pretty sure there's others in the list that are, uh, you know, recent editions. I think it's that people don't like people of that type. People like true believer cryptozoologists don't like crediting the skeptical stuff. So I just pretend it doesn't it doesn't exist. And well, I'm I so- think in I think in many ways, lots of them are afraid it will ruin their fun, right? Ruin their fun. Yeah, I think a lot of people they want to believe this stuff. It's a fun thing to think about. Sure. And so they're worried that reading a skeptical thing will make make it all sort of <laughs> seem a bit you know, it'll start to collapse. It'll be it'll be sullied, it'll be soured forever. Might might hurt their feelings. Hmm. Well, yeah, but also it'll ruin the subject for them. I can. Are you having your? Is it is it lunch or breakfast you're eating right now? Yeah, sorry, it's breakfast. <laughs> <clears throat> the height um, of professionalism. <laughs> so this um this review, which <laughs> yeah, it comes from a creationist, which is very surprising. It's a verified purchase, so they actually bought the book. I don't know what they were expecting because it wasn't flagged as creationist literature. But apparently they just can't stand anything that mentions evolution or dates or anything like that. That's all just horribly biased and makes the whole book worth worthless. Although, interestingly, he has given us two stars. Why not two? One. Why not one? Can you give half a star? I don't think you can, no. Because the lowest... Is it? I don't know. I've never, I've never put a review on Amazon. But is it possible to put zero stars? No. Yeah. So it has to be one star. But yeah, he did yes. do that. He did too. Okay. Yeah. So, but I don't know. I, I, I sort of think that when I look at books and read book reviews, and I should say by the way that I don't only use Amazon. And in fact, there are other digital retailers available out there. In fact, there's good reasons why you shouldn't use Amazon. There's some like really dodgy ethical stuff they've been involved in. But that's another. Every country, every company is dodgy. <laughs> that's true you um, look into every one of them and they're all oh it's just better not to look okay um when i when i look at you know look at a book i do kind of if it's got a higher uh, yeah if it's like four or five star i'm thinking it's generally generally a good book whereas if it's like down the low end i'm thinking that's oh, probably a piece of junk and i shouldn't waste my time on it so i think it and, and i assume that's true for most people so it does it does kind of make a difference um, so uh, there's, um, no, I'm thinking of something else completely different. I was going to say, I thought, I thought I'd seen, uh, reviews of our 
of the cryptozoological and elsewhere online. And because then like one, because there's only one review there, and it's like a two star review, it's like that's not good. You know, you need people to. Um, well, yeah, you need a certain number of people reviewing, which is always tricky. Yeah. Um, but so hateful, spiteful, and, and and in some cases ridiculously biased and even idiotic people can horribly bias all kinds of things online through this this kind of behavior and there's nothing you can do about it um yes Here's, a, uh, there's a good um uh, <laughs> one down there from star reviews star reviews on xkcd which is five star has only one review four and a half stars excellent four stars okay anything below that crap yeah <laughs> that's, that's pretty much how it works i think so yeah we've managed to uh keep ourselves up around four and a half stars that's good that means we're excellent yeah. um but yeah we should be actually talking about this review i mean it's just <clears throat> okay so it just hits all the boring crazy old creationist talking points doesn't it carbon 14s blah 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 uh darwinian evolution is only a theory mm. <laughs> I mean, really? So they did actually buy the book. Um, why? Why would you buy this book if you knew it was going to be... I mean, it was obviously not written from a creationist perspective, I think. You can look mm. inside, you can read a little bit of the introduction. I just... <laughs> I don't understand. It's not like... Well, I don't trawl through the um, the creationist literature like about creationist-type subjects and shout at him although i suppose some people do so yeah, there you go <laughs> it, well well maybe i mean given that there is there's quite a bit of cryptozoological literature that is written by creationists or is completely devoid of ev of any evolutionary you know appropriately biological perspective mm. so in fact i would say that quite a lot of the cryptozoological some of the mainstream cryptozoological literature i don't mean stuff like hooverman's or shuka but that kind of stuff but some of the other stuff it's it's just talking about people seeing stuff. It's completely divorced from you know couching organisms within the evolutionary history. Uh, maybe therefore those two things. Some of it's devoid of that perspective, and some of it's written by creationists. Maybe creationists therefore expect that they can or do read cryptozoological literature and find it consistent with their beliefs, with their expectations. And maybe yes. when they read something like because there's a lot of stuff about evolution and fossils and stuff mm. in the cryptozoological. So maybe that's, whoa, culture shock. <laughs> I yeah. just wanted to read about mystery animals, <laughs> not about the fact they might actually have an evolutionary history. That's craziness. But maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's where he's coming from. Maybe someone like this routinely does read cryptozoological books and is like, ah, shock for evolution. I never it gets everywhere. Carbon-14 and something, something, and only a theory. <laughs> stupid old theories yeah, yeah. and uh, where do you even start i mean it's one this how often does this just never goes away um well one of my friends who's a who's a creationist he said the other day or oh, how is it that uh a uh, fish could evolve lungs if when a fish comes out onto land it like will live a couple of minutes without dying <laughs> it's like so i was thinking about coming back to that was you know that God is supposed to have written the Bible. Well, does God? Are you seriously saying that God owns a printing press and could could use a pen? Because <laughs> seriously, He actually wrote the Bible. That's crazy. It's the same kind of. You know, nobody is stupid enough to honestly think that Mr. Man God sat down in his typewriter or with his pen and literally wrote the Bible. Nobody <laughs> thinks that. Okay, whatever you think yeah. of the Bible, I don't think anybody thinks that. 
Or do they? Actually, I don't know. I'm sure maybe some people well, do. Well, some people but, probably do, but yeah. I, so, I don't think that's the main sort of belief. I think the main belief is that, that people were inspired by... Exactly. The word, yes. the word of God has flowed through humans, I yes. think, is the generally expected mm. belief, whatever, kind of per, whatever your personal ideas are. But you wouldn't say anything that, that stupid to, to, to any religious person. So how is it okay for someone motivated by creationism to think it's okay to say something like, duh... Fish have gills, not lungs. It's like, have you read a single... Do you know the first... You clearly don't know the first thing about what lungs are, what swim bladders are, the diversity of fish, blah, 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 blah. <sighs> yeah, I mean, uh, this is... But this con continually comes up with creationists, isn't it? That um, it's, a, it's not only a lack of familiarity with the concepts of evolution and the fossil record, there's a massive ignorance about what sort of animals are out there. So they say, how could this transition happen? And there's a whole bloody section of huge groups of animals that do that exact thing. They're in that transitional... Transitional? People can't yeah. see my quotation marks. Um, <laughs> those phases. Uh, so it's just... <laughs> exactly. It's yeah, so dumb. Yeah, it's yeah. so dumb. But there you go. Yeah. But then you realise that people, including you and me, are tremendously ignorant about all sorts of things. I think the trick is to just stay quiet about stuff you don't know about, right? Well, that's my, when I see something on, like for example, Facebook all the time. You see, you see, this has been claimed, or that's been claimed. Okay, I look at those things and I think, really? And I leave it alone and I go away. Okay, <laughs> and I think. I do not immediately say, yeah, type, 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 that's crap because blah, blah, blah. Or, or oh, yes, everybody knows it's true that her son wasn't really autistic or whatever, you know. Um, you don't talk about stuff when you're actually, if there's anything, I, I, think, I think a general good practice is like, if something makes you think, hmm, really? Question mark. As if that wasn't obviously a question. Go yeah. away and find out something about it. Don't just <laughs> off the cuff just, and that's, I mean... Yeah, the crea creationists in general are not just like obviously totally uninformed with regard to like biology and 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 geology and all that stuff, but they're also ah, uh, should I say it? Yeah, I'm gonna say it. They're bad people. They're bad people all round because they haven't gone to any trouble to actually find out about the stuff that they um. Well, okay, let's let's clarify this a little bit. They're the vocal creationists, the ones that engage in the debates and write reviews like this I, I think that is sort of a yeah bad people maybe I don't know it's certainly a character flaw I think I'm right? not being entirely serious because I'm sure they yes. I'm sure they can be perfectly good like, I'm sure they can be perfectly normal in many other respects of their lives but there, I'm sure there's a huge bunch of people who are basically creationists because they've never really thought about it right mm. that's what they've grown up with and they've never really biology evolution that sort of stuff has never been an interest to this so they just they just ignore the thing really um i'm sure there's a huge number of those uh but yeah the the vocal creationists the ones that engage uh, the the level of can it really be called ignorance for a lot of them because they must know the counter arguments now they must know well this, I don't know, this I don't... only a theory thing i mean really yeah yeah there's there's ignorant ignorance there's the fact that like they haven't read books so they don't know the stuff but there's also like deliberate ignorance there's like people make a point of not knowing this stuff because it's like there's, yeah. a, there's a deliberate effort to not find out about it um 
and this is and this is all across the board, not just with respect to evolution, but I mean, Christ, how much stuff is there about climate change at the moment? Because because oh, it's really cold at the moment, which proves that global warming is a big fat hoax. Because no, it's cold. So yeah. global warming. I don't. How can it? It's clearly false because it's cold right now here in the United States of America, which is the only country in the world, and is the center of the universe, right? Yeah. So yeah, that kind that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, have you have you been flooded where you are? You're not in a dangerous place. No, no. no. London, no. Well, there's 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 bits of London that are be a bit that are near big rivers and stuff. <laughs> they're they're in danger of flooding. Well, there's they look they looked fine when we were there on Sunday. So I don't we think... have seen the last three days more rain here than I think. Well, possibly in my lifetime, but um, we're we're on a hill, so we're in a safe place. But um, yeah. Crazy weather. Yes, it is. I um, went to Wales, and I, I don't think I've ever seen so much rain. I don't understand, Darren, and this is something you would never get in Australia, how a hill can also be a bog. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was Wales, was it? Yeah. So you're, you're walking up a hill, quite a you know, steep slope. You'd think the water would go down it. But somehow it manages to cling in there, so you can still be stepping in a bog on a hill. I just uh, don't no, understand how this is possible. Uh, well, you see, that's explained. I'll t- I can explain that for you. Geology. Geology, yeah. Right, moving on. Um, I quite like your um, <laughs> this dinosaur pet guide thing that you did. That's that's been all over the place. That's been hugely popular. Oh man, yeah. Well, I've been working on it for months and months and months. Not solidly, obviously, just sort of like doing a <laughs> drawing really, really slowly. Um, I've been adding like little bits to it for ages, and I thought, <clears throat> so of course, the, th- the time I just, I, I've always thought there's a good chance this will go viral. Sometimes you just have a feeling about these things, right? So what do I do? I, I write the new version of my website, new programming language, and it's all a bit shaky. You know, I'm not feeling terribly confident about it staying up and all that. So what do I do two days after launching my new new version of my site, which I'm a bit afraid is going to break at any second? Uh-huh. I release something that I think might go viral. And then it does. And yes, my website breaks, which was... <laughs> oh dear. Which was nice. So I spent sort of a couple of days sitting in front of my, um, in front of my computer fixing things as they broke. Which was a bit stressful, but it was good that it went uh, went crazy. I guess <laughs> I've learned something about going viral. Doesn't result in a lot of followers or sales. I've got to say, especially something like that, which I'm a bit. People just look at it, and go, "Ha ha, that's funny." Next thing. Oh yeah. So if I had a painting or something a bit more, I don't know, a bit more substantial, get that sort of coverage. I would expect more engagement with the rest of my stuff, if you see what I mean. Whereas the, <laughs> this just felt like a crazy, I don't know, 15 minutes of fame on the internet sort of thing. Yes. So, so does that mean you won't be doing it again? Uh, possibly. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm wondering. So maybe if you do that sort of thing a lot then you start mm. to collect people that like that sort of thing maybe because it's a bit out of step with the rest of the stuff that i do i mean it's obviously it's a bit silly although modern modern brachiosaurus was pretty silly too um 
<clears throat> yes. So it didn't result in a huge. It not, there wasn't a huge influx of, of traffic. Oh, there was, a, there was a massive influx of traffic. Yes. Uh. Um, but what I'm saying is that none of that, res <laughs> very little of that, resulted in anything that uh, the traffic's supposed to give me, either sales or followers uh. or something like this, um, which you're looking for when you get a massive influx of um, yeah. influx of traffic. Obviously, right? Um, so to sorry, mm. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so to people that haven't seen this, if I, I assume if they just giggle, <laughs> giggle, uh, if they Google dinosaur pet guide, do they get it, or do they have to put dinosaur yeah, pet no, guide? I'm sure they'll get Conway. It. Uh, it would help if you put Conway, probably. Although I don't know if you want to see the original version, which I do want people to see on my website. Uh, you go to dinosaur. Sorry, you go to johnconway.co dinosaur underscore pet underscore guide so just replaces spaces with underscores and you'll get it so have you seen the previous efforts to depict dinosaurs as pets by other artists and authors you know i haven't i sort of deliberately uh, okay. avoided it while it, i was working yeah. on it i guess there's at least three things that have been done before there was a thing in the 70s by a guy called willie rushton famous narrator uh, and cartoonist, and um, it's, I think it's called How to Keep Dinosaurs, and I'm not really a fan of his depictions, I don't I think they're, and the animals are, are just kind of, uh, they sort of do really silly things, like there's a picture of like, if you keep an Archaeopteryx, then one thing that Archaeopteryx does is it, is it plays guitar solos in the light of the full moon, and stuff like that. It's like, what? That doesn't tell me anything about keeping Archaeopteryx. And then yeah, more that's, recently... that's called overloading, isn't it? Because the original concept is funny enough. You don't need to overload it with a bunch of crazy nonsense as yeah, well, right? I, I just, yeah, yeah, I agree. I just, I just didn't like it. And then a guy called, I think, Robert Mash did a book which was like a reimagined version of Willie Rushton's project, again, called How to Keep Dinosaurs, from a few years ago, like 2004 three, four, something like that. And um and it's pretty much the same. It's it's about the the there's loads of like in jokes in the book, like where you get the animals from. Like it said that, you know, you buy Tyrannosaurus from like Hell Creek stable, that kind of stuff. And again, the animals they do silly dances and play guitars and stuff like that. And but I I reviewed this book. Um I felt I think that I think I published the review on um Tetrapodzoology sometime version two uh i reviewed it for, originally reviewed it for 40 and times it's illustrated throughout by um oh no i can't remember the name of the guy but basically there's this person and colleagues who runs a studio who maybe it's best that i can't remember the name so i really shouldn't mention it but there's a bunch of people that do um basically the worst cg dinosaurs you've ever seen yeah, I know who they're you're talking like, about. You're talking about Pixel Shack. Yes, those guys. Yeah, they're yes, terrible. And it's, really terrible. They're terrible. And it's their creatures. So you've got animals that don't look like... They don't, it's not just that they're inaccurate dinosaurs. It's that they don't look like animals. It's like, you know, their, their, their shapes are wrong and they've got too many joints in their limbs and that kind of stuff. And their skin <laughs> textures are so obviously photoshopped from just turtles and lizards and things. Really, really bad. And it's um, those illustrations throughout which... You know, I work a lot with Dawn and Kinnersley, and Dawn and Kinnersley use their models all the time. And 
Oh, God, so bad, so bad. I mean, yeah, encourage, what, pixelshack.com maybe? I, well, I don't know. Should we even say this? Because uh, the, 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 one of the guys has threatened me with legal action before, so I... I... <laughs> <laughs> after I said, after the, one, of the dueling, one of the dueling Kindersley encyclopedias, I was uh, quite mean about his models and uh, slagged, slagged this stuff off. And Oh, Lee, I'm going to see you, man. Yeah, no. So, I, I am not. I tell you what, those people sue me. Don't sue Darren. That's fine. <laughs> don't sue anybody. You don't. There's no suing needs to be involved. It's just, just come on, just up your game, just change. And the big problem here, here we go. I'll get the, I'll get the shovel out now. Dig the hole. Dig the hole. Dig, dig deeper. The big problem here is stupid paleontologists who say yes to these models. Because yeah. that's why that's why we're in this problem. Because all of those books with these models in it, all of them, uh, paleontologists have said yes to those models. So, hey, I'm just the messenger here, guys. I'm not, you know, I'm not creating trouble. But the people who are consultants on these books have said that those models are okay. And if you think that's all right, well, I pity the fool. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's pretty bad. I just. I don't understand what's going on there. I think, like, if you're and, not interested in images, why be a consultant for this stuff? Just and, say that's not really my area. I'm not going to do it. So I'm doing a bit with Dawning Kinsley at the moment, and I. To, I've told them this every time I've worked with Dawning Kinsley. I've told them this. I said, "Do you realise these models are execrable? They're not just a little bit wrong. They are like they shouldn't be used. They are. They are awful. They are monsters, and." They said, and they come back and they say, oh, yeah, but so-and-so, you know, a couple of people whose names I'm not going to use because I, I, I don't want to get in trouble for it. I don't want to, like, you know, make individual people look really bad. But individual people, working paleontologists, have said yes to this stuff. And I'm like, do you realize those people said yes to stuff that they should have said no to because they don't care? They say, what do you mean they don't care? So, well, I've asked them. I've actually gone to these people and said, why did you say yes to that model? There's... No, I, I, no, I, no, I, I can't. I'm, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop because I, I, I just, I can't. I don't want. I don't yeah, want to do yeah, this. Dig up, yeah. stupid. Yes, but yeah. Well, because they don't care. Yeah. Uh, I, well, they I don't do understand why they do the work if they don't care. Why don't they just say no? Go away. I'm not interested. Because they get paid for it. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. So should we should we move on? Um. Because or do are we? We should definitely move on. Yeah. We we I need to move on. Uh, so we just could just quickly go through the stuff on Facebook. So thank you to everyone who's commented on Facebook. Marcus Buller, thank you very much for your suggestions. Obviously, we didn't talk about feral and domestic cats. Um, Memo, thank you for mentioning the weird Russian artwork, which is classic stuff. Seen that before? Great. And uh, everyone who helped with uh, mutant whales, Marcus, um, Memo, um, Mark Carter is bigging up Marion. Ants, this is new tadpoles and frogs of Australia. Amazing book, which I really can't wait to see. I did try and help out with that book, but um, wasn't able to do anything useful in time. Um, Kirsty, when are you guys going to get an app or whatever all the school kids are doing these days? We've got apps coming out the wazoo, Kirsty. Oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Don't worry about it. She's always drunk anyway. Uh, Raven. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hi, Raven. I'm not going to talk about stainless beat. Well, Tim Morris. Please mention the crazy deformed sperm whale jaws. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about sperm whale jaws. Uh, Google weird mutant twisty sperm whale jaws. There's loads of amazing stuff, some of which has been on Tet Zoo. Uh, Gareth, that's Gaffer Mondo. Gareth Monger, can't think of anything useful to say. Good one, Gareth, thanks. Dave Godfrey, 
mentions uh, Dormalo Cyan, which is like a recently published, possibly I think a stem carnivoran or carnivoromorphan or one of those things, which was published, a Paleocene mammal. Um, yeah, so Weta. So uh, the wet everyone everyone I think interested. Okay, so we're in done. We're just clear. We're done with that. We're done with the question. We're done with that. We're moving on. Yeah, I, I just want to talk on. about. So so if you're if you're a, a Tetsu podcast listener, hi by the way, hi out there, um, um, then you're in some grand company. There's like loads of famous people that you know email us and tweet us and you know we've got loads of famous followers all over the place. I'm not joking. Yeah, and I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got um. <laughs> oh, thank you. I like the t-shirt. People should buy the Tetsu podcast t-shirt. Although, okay, the yeah, yeah. we'll do that at the end. We'll do that at the end. Okay. Um, right. I got I got a message from Daniel Falconer, who works at Weta. So this is a Weta workshop. The guys based in New Zealand who make the amazing CG and um, miniatures and bigatures, as you'll as you'll know if you're a. If you've seen making of documentaries, they make all the Lord of the Rings stuff and the Hobbit stuff and King Kong stuff and stuff from many of the movies. And uh, so, so Daniel um, sent me a very interesting message. Um, he, he mentioned uh, that he was, I think he was put onto the Tetsu podcast by Jamie. There's no way I'm going to spell his surname, pronounce his surname correctly. I'm very sorry for this. Bez, Bezrick, Bezrick. Oh, I'm sorry. But um, yeah, hi, Jamie. Um, so Daniel sent me a link to this video, which we must include in the show notes thing, which is about uh, Wellington Airport. The Weta guys, people put up a they put up two giant eagles in the airport. So the Middle Earth, I was going to say the Lord of the Rings land, but Middle Earth is inhabited by basically they're giant, they're, they're golden eagles, but they've got wingspans of, I don't know, what five meters or something crazy. And they've made two of these. And, oh, my God, they are incredible. And this documentary, that it, it's a condensed, <clears throat> you know, making of documentary how they made these models. They made them out of, of polystyrene. But then, now this is really interesting. If, if you're interested in making model animals and also in the whole feathered dinosaur thing, because this is something that we talk about a lot, they actually, um, so all the stuff like around the face, they just apply kind of like a fur-like fabric. But for the feathering on the body, they made the feathers individually and like apply individual feathers. So they use some sort of fabric to make like the coverts, so the smaller feathers on the mantle and the wings and all that kind of stuff. But then the individual primaries and secondaries, those are like actually made as individual feathers that are, that are bolted on. And um, it's a brilliant video, um, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it's, and, it's um, really they're really amazing looking. Uh, what, what, anyone that's tried to do this, feathers are incredibly difficult to get right um, in sculptures and things. So a lot of people take real feathers and glue them on, and they never work because they're not they don't align quite exactly right. And yeah, it's a really tricky thing to get right. So it's it's pretty pretty uh, a lot of skill went into this. It's it's amazing. And I thought while I, while I was watching, it, I was thinking about the making of the. As darker pterosaur models that Mark Whitten and Dave Martell and others made for the Science Summer Science Festival of 2000, 2008, 2009. I don't know, recent years. Um, maybe it's more recent than that, 2010, whatever. They made these giant as darkids, and of course, they had the same problem. Pterosaurs are furry, but how do you actually make giant furry models? So Mark and Dave made these models out of foam, but then had to like stick on the fur. But it's very difficult to 
to stick on you can't stick on little bits at a time because the seams will be visible because it not being real fur they don't actually you know mesh together you don't get the sort of overlap that you do in a real animal's pelt um so do you do i suppose you try and do like giant strips giant chunks of keep keep it keep it large but well there are there are three approaches um yeah put it in sort of natural strips so the seams are where they wouldn't be noticed you sort of brush over them that sort of stuff um there's you sculpt it so basically it's hard it's not fur but you put a texture on the top that makes it look like fur and the third one is if you've got a lot of time and it's the best one you punch all the hairs in individually you make the skin out of some sort of rubber well, rubbery like substance and you and you punch all the hairs in <clears throat> individually which takes well probably for a, something as big as a quetzalco atlas it would take a couple of people oh, a long time uh weeks weeks and weeks uh so unless you've got a budget of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds it's not really a option but it is the best one it looks amazing if you do it right yeah well of course you you did the that's the technique you use on the pig punching in individual uh yeah but but then a a pig i mean given that pigs have got a fairly sparse hirsutiness compared to like a dog or something i mean is that is that more difficult or uh still well different technique i suppose so well it depends Uh, yeah i mean if you've got to do small finer hairs then yeah it just takes longer it's it's crazy but um you can but i a lot of Lots of models you use a mixture of different techniques, right? So you mm, can use mm. some fabric some some places and punch in bigger hairs other places. And if you mix it all up right, you can get it looking okay. But yeah, it's a tremendously difficult problem um, with model making is is integument. Because <clears throat> I was trying to think whether feathers would be easier than than fur. I mean, you bear in mind that uh, because the thing about the thing that makes feathers different compared to fur not on all birds not on all feathery things i should say but on at least some of them is individual feathers like look individual you know there are there are loads of birds where not ju- i don't just mean primaries and secondaries and rectrices not the big feathers but mm. you look at the animal's back or sometimes it's breast or something you can see like each individual feather which again you can't in all of them but in some of them you can and that is a major major pain you compare that to a pelt where normally like most things just sort of form a continuous mat so if you're making an accurate model oh my god i mean a giant bird can have like i think it's not like twenty thousand feathers or something so i would say with these eagles these giant eagles they've gotten about they've probably done the best well they have done the best that you can but you're literally talking about people making individual feathers and stapling them on one by one and <laughs> which is yeah. which is probably why something like weta can do this and uh, i don't know if i was to try and make a giant eagle here in my living room i don't think i'd uh, have the resources for the <laughs> really <laughs> yeah because yeah. uh, because i was trying to make a, a wing my father-in-law is a um bronze molder and uh, we were make he's really into like propellers and any so therefore anything to do with hydrofalls and aerofalls and stuff and we were talking about making like a, a dynamic sort of wing in motion and we're making individual feathers just to do one wing and oh my god it was such a pain we never mm. finished it but yeah. um yeah so having segged segged into weta i uh, how are we doing for time i did we want to talk about any of the movies yeah i think we'll talk about the movies a bit i think it'll be a bit of a long episode but that's fine 
What um, the hell? You don't like to hell? stop listening. <laughs> Please don't stop listening and send us money. <laughs> we need some small. Do you call it small print when you say it? You probably. I'm pretty sure you don't. <laughs> yeah, small talk is something else, isn't it? <laughs> All views, all views portrayed in this podcast, not necessarily those of John Conway or, or johnconway.org <laughs> or, or Tetsu or Tetsu.com or whatever. We need something like that. Yeah. It's like in, the, like in The Simpsons where they have those, there's a, there's a, you know, in America they call dummies pacifiers. Duh. Pacifier. Yeah. There's, I think there's like an advert in The Simpsons for like a new pacifier and it's just not suitable for babies under three. <laughs> 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 we need something like that. Okay, can you work on that for the next episode? Anyway, uh, I saw several movies over the Christmas period. I had a great Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? I uh, no. Well, yes. Oh. Actual Christmas was all right, but I got very sick after Christmas. Oh dear. Too much yeah. drinking. Was your birthday good? No, that's what I thought it was. I thought you know, <laughs> I was well, you know, you you're sort of feeling a bit uh, at the end of Christmas Day, and you think it was probably the five glasses of wine you had, but five glasses is not that much. You shouldn't be feeling that sick. It's an average night for you. <laughs> well, yeah. And, um... <laughs> no, it turns out I had something quite nasty. Anyway, I saw I saw the Walking with Dinosaurs 3D movie, but I'm not, I don't want to talk about that. And I also saw Frozen, which is like a kid's CG thing. Yes. Yeah. So, obviously, children. I actually got children. And, um, that's... But, but... Over the Christmas period, I wanted to go and see Hobbit 2, Lust for Glory. <laughs> or what? Hobbit 2, what's it called? Desolation of Smaug. Desolate, desolation of Smaug, yes. I didn't see it, but you did. I did. It was, and is it good? Yeah, it was good. I actually liked it more than the first one, probably. But then, of course, it's got Smaug in it. And Smaug is amazing. It's a really good... Um, uh, what, what would you call it? Uh, dragon? Dragon. Yeah, well, listen, no, I mean, I know it's a dragon. I'm looking for a word like a character, but I want it, the, the design of Smaug is excellent. Really, really good. These, so, um, or... Smaug, like, um, traditionally, like, dragons have uh, four legs and a pair of wings. They did the sensible thing with Smaug and made the four limbs the wings. So it walks around like a bat or a pterosaur. And, um,. Yeah, and the wings are huge compared to the body, as you'd sort of expect. They look proportional. They're probably not, actually, but they look like it. Um, and the way he moves and flies and stuff, it's all really, really nice. And you see, and he's on, uh, Smaug is on screen for a long time, you know, he's a main character in, in huge parts of the movie, um, the, the later part of the movie. Yeah, I really, uh, so that makes the film, really, in Smaug. I really must see it, then. I just haven't had the time. Um because if you think of a lot of my friends are fairly like you know not a surprise they're fairly nerdy and so the thing the thing i've seen about smelling is people going nyeh, nyeh, nyeh. that's not a dragon it's a wyvern smell supposed to have four legs not two nyeh, nyeh, nyeh. how dare they i'm never gonna i'm never gonna watch a single film ever again you <laughs> bastards all that kind of stuff and oh, i'm dear. i'm like I'm a bit of a philistine. I haven't read Tolkien. I never will. I don't read fiction. I, but I, you know, I've got a bit of respect for it. I like it. I think it's you know well done. He wrote some big books. But when you're making it into a movie, making it into a movie, come on. You know, it's, everybody knows that what's in a book doesn't necessarily work in a film. And as you've said, maybe there are some good reasons for them. I don't know. What should should you should you do what the fans literally expect and create creatures that are 
exactly as described in a book, or should you come up with your own novel? Because why did there's they come a up reason, with that? Well, I, there's a couple of reasons why you might. This is described in the book looks stupid, because really? authors authors are sort of imagining something, but often imagining something, and they manage to convey this to their readers, but in a way that when you go to make it in real life, you actually give it visual form and movement and stuff. It doesn't work. It looks it looks dumb. It's not the character like the feeling you get from reading it isn't the feeling you get looking at it. So you might have to change some things for that reason. Second of all, I mean, four legs, two legs. I mean, who gives a crap how it was described? I don't, I don't think it really matters very much, people. I, it looks great in the film, and as far as I can make out... Also, God, complaining about The Hobbit, complaining about the dragon having the wrong number of legs, that most of the story isn't The Hobbit, is it? It's stretched out this huge trilogy of movies from uh, one relatively short book. Mm. Um, so I, I would have thought this was very low on their list of complaints, but then it's, I guess well, it's, they're complaining about it because people are saying Smaug is great, right? It's the well. It's the first thing I saw people complaining. Oh, I can't wait to see what Smaug's like. Oh, he's not even a dragon. He's a woman. So I, I wonder if they decided to go with a wyvern kind of. Design. For those who don't know, a wyvern is sort of. There's meant to be like several different classes of dragon type creatures. There's worms, which are serpentine ones. There's wyverns, which are two legs and wings, uh... and then dragons only. <laughs> oh God! Stop. <laughs> And then, and then we come to fire dragons and, um, and earth dragons. The, did they did they decide to go with a wyvern type dragon because they thought that makes biological sense? Oh, Darren, sense? a wyvern type dragon! Oh, please, <laughs> wyverns are not did, dragons. Did they do it like that because they thought, well, it can still make sense as a tetrapod because, like a pterosaur or a bat, it's got four. It's got. It's still got four limbs, num- the number four, but it's using the uh, the f- the four limbs, the front pair as its wings and as and as walking devices. I think they did it this way because they modelled it and they thought, "Wow, that looks really good." That looks good. That one. Yeah, yeah. It looks. I mean, because Smaug is absolutely enormous. Obviously, it's very difficult to animate something that big and make it look realistic. Um, the motion and things. Um, but yeah, so I just think it looks good. It feels right. Um, obviously, it's not something that big couldn't move around. But it, it, yeah, for something like that, I think it was really nice. And I think couldn't that's why around. they did it that way. It's be- it's believable. Yeah. Yeah. No, you you probably you haven't seen the film, so you probably don't know how big he is. Meant to no, be. no, no, no. I was just going to really, be really. He's I was going to really be big. He's really big. I was going to say. I was going to say. Uh-huh, whales didn't think of that one, did you? <laughs> He's much bigger than a whale. Oh, right. I was also being silly. I was doing the creationist thing. Because um, oh, yeah, yeah. whales, whales live in the water. But yeah. is he bigger than a whale then? Yeah, I'd say his head is the size of a whale. What, a blue whale? Well, no. Probably his head and neck. He's, he's really, really big. Okay. I haven't done any homework. I'm not even entirely sure what he looks like. Cause I and also, as it. a lot of these films, if you probably look at it, he probably changes size based on what scene he's in. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's huge. Huh. Much bigger than any living animal could be. I'm entering Smaug size into Google here. We'll see what the, uh, what the Nerdosphere thinks of this. <laughs> well, Smaug. <laughs> Smaug. Technically, is the dragon, but anyway... <clears throat> 
just how big is Jackson Smaug? Hobbit movie news. Okay, just get to the freaking point here. There's a whole article about this. I don't care about oh, this. Oh, God. 2.5 centimetres across. Jeez, that's wrong. <laughs> do a search for the word meters or something. Yes. Um, but yes, what are, what other films uh, are Weta Studios? Well, Kong. Obviously, King Kong deserves substantial discussion. Um, I've seen that, you know, loads of times, and obviously, enormous amount of creature design went into it. And also, there's a well, there's a book. Forget what it's called, but there's a book about all these like other creatures that are meant to be on Skull Island that didn't make it into the, the film. And I think some of the stuff in King Kong looks amazing. Some of it I'm not ultra keen on. And some of the stuff in the book just, um, I don't know, there's, because, because it's a, unfortunately, someone like me, and I know a lot of people like me as well, when they look at things like this, their immediate thought is, well, Skull Island is probably only 15 square kilometers in size, so how can it possibly support <laughs> a... a uh, an endemic radiation of 15 carnivorous parrots as well as surviving non-avian dinosaurs. And there's, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's meant to be so much stuff on this little island that, um, it's, it's, the thing, I don't like the sauropods in King Kong. Mm, yeah. The, 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 I, why, I don't know why they did the sauropods like that. And so I think I, I remember reading or hearing that it was in, meant to be a homage to the idea that they were, 1930s sauropods and they deliberately did them to look like because obviously when is well i know the original king kong movie was made in is it 1933 something's there thereabouts 33 35 something like that yeah so obviously if you were to depict a sauropod dinosaur in the 1930s it would be like a a swamp dwelling kind of rubbery thing that would be fairly amorphous it wouldn't look like a modern robert backer gregory paul john conway style sauropod but um, the the sauropods that they show in the new King Kong film, the recent King Kong film, are um, are like nineteen thirties flabby bodied, you know, kind of brontosaurus rubbery things. And um, I, but that's what I'm saying. Did, did they deliberately do that? Did they make them look like oldie nineteen thirties sauropods? Because for that reason, they just they just don't don't really work for me. And the whole I, the, the I think they did. Uh, and in some ways, I, I I admire King Kong more in this respect, in that they didn't try to make realistic dinosaurs. You know, they were meant to be sort of strange fantasy versions of dinosaurs. So it was easier to watch in that respect. I don't know. Are you sure? I mean, uh, because because a lot of the time, I think they go to a lot of trouble to make like they the V Rex. I forget its generic name, but the 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 big tyrannosaur type things. I mean, there's clearly a lot of trouble gone into to make them look biologically plausible i mean okay oh, biologically not... plausible sure but I, I don't think they were trying well with some of them but i think that they were as i say they're not trying to model a particular dinosaur and make it accurate and obviously they're also changing some things to make them more cartoonish in a way i guess you know bigger teeth and crazy sort of crazy sort of stuff which is cartoony uppy Cartoony uppy, <laughs> <laughs> cartoonify, cartoonifying yeah. the. Uh, there's there's the ideas, there's a whole there's a whole stampede sequence where you've got people like literally running next to or in among stampeding sauropods and yeah. I don't know. I was, that's something where well, I suppose you do that in a movie because you can, 
but it's like the whole idea there i mean you try running next to a bunch of elephants you're gonna last a few seconds and and then the, and then there's like the little theropods and yeah why why go with the, the theropods in that and i forget the their venusteraptor or something like that slimy skinned like slick gray featherless things which yeah i don't know yeah but as i say in some ways i could enjoy that more than something like jurassic park because i felt like it was cartoony sort of mix-up homages that sort of stuff i could it was more palpably that it wasn't didn't feel like they were trying to make dinosaurs to me it felt like they were trying to riff on dinosaurs not not and the cultural aspects of dinosaurs. It didn't feel like they were trying to make a bunch of dinosaurs. Yeah, and there's the bat things as well, which which aren't bats. They are, I think they're meant to be, it's explained in the book, they're meant to be like non-mammalian cynodonts or marsupials or, no, rodents. Maybe they're flying rodents. Yeah, I can't remember. But but they're, they're really good. They put a lot of, there's a lot of nuance in their behavior when you see them sort of hanging down from the cave or whatever the way they sort of move their heads and flitter their ears. They, they clearly like, you can tell they watch a lot of uh, fruit bats and stuff. Um, those creatures are pretty, pretty good. But, um, and what else is there? There's a, in, in the extended edition, oh, the invertebrates. Now in the, you know, there's the canyon scene where there's all these like creatures come out, all these like insects and arachnids that come yeah. out from the sides of the, the canyon walls. And they start out as, okay, so do most people, do you know what a wetter is? Do most people know what wetters actually are? I don't think they do. Do you? I did once. They're big... Um, uh, they're like those crazy... Um, they're crickets. Sorry, they're a bunch of yeah. New Zealand crickets. Yeah, big flightless crickets, which are so big as in like mouse size or the size of your hand, almost. They're, they're, some people think that they've kind of like evolved to fill the niche that's, that small mammals do elsewhere. Obviously, there being no, uh, well, supposedly being no endemic mammals on New Zealand, although we now know that's not true. But, um, um, yeah, they start out as, the creatures start out as, like, a wetter the size of, like, a medium-sized dog. But then these, like, increasingly larger creatures come out of the canyon walls until by the end you've got things the size of, like, well, sort of small trucks and minivans and stuff coming out the sides. And, uh, I don't know. I didn't, I, I didn't. I found that slightly problematic. And I also think there's a bit. There's a bit when you leave <laughs> slightly problematic. <laughs> how do those? How do those creatures... can't get that big. Surface area, <laughs> such and such. How do they? How do they make a living? They're all living in a canyon. I suppose maybe they're all cannibalistic. But, um... I don't think that works. Actually, you know, <laughs> if they're well, can... cannibalistic, yeah. does it? Well, it can if you produce like millions and millions of babies. I, I mean, they're not eating one another as adults, but they're sort of. Um, oh, so they're just eating their own babies forever yeah, yeah. and ever in this cycle. Well, no, no. You can see the problem with this, can't you? They're supplement. Yeah, but if you produce, um, there's there's an example. Of, there's a bunch of living animals that do this. There's a, I, I can't remember what it is. There's a food system, There's a food chain which is based around that if this if this main organism in the food chain wasn't eating its own offspring. Then the food, the whole, the whole, this particular ecosystem couldn't perpetuate, and I can't remember what it is. But but if but you obviously imagine, obviously, it, it takes more energy to make a baby than you'll get from eating it. Um. True, 
But <laughs> no, I'm saying it's, it's a supplementary thing. They're not relying on their babies. It's a supplementary thing. They, I guess um, what, they, what you could argue is that the babies go out and they forage. So the babies of these giant insects, they go out and they forage and they get bigger and they come back and they get eaten. Exactly as in the rods of the Cryptozoologicon, which are reabsorbed by their, what's she, what's she called? The big mama one, the mega rod that lives up in the, the clouds. <laughs> Yeah. Mega rod, yeah. You can see, sort <laughs> sort that one through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the extended so, version of King Kong, there's also like yep. a giant swamp eel fish carnivore creature, which is uh, so kind of like long-bodied sort of thing. And there's also like a big old gnarly um, horned dinosaur, uh, a giant kind of chasmosaurus type forest creature so of all the things that they went to skull island and saw and found they collected a giant gorilla (laughs) which uh, i know it's the least interesting animal there yeah well in terms of novelty i guess yeah and it again i can't remember this from the book i really need to get this book but is king kong actually a they're not gorillas are they're meant to be some other kind of like giant ape they just look exactly like giant gorillas and i like the fact that in the film they made a point of showing that he is the last of his kind because we Mm. go past and and kong walk past the bones of what are presumably meant to be like the rest of his family long deceased so whenever i mention the last the last of its kind i'm always reminded of walking with dinosaurs because a a persistent theme throughout the i don't mean the recent movie but the original television series if you remember in that now having watched it here in the uk it was narrated by sir kenneth branagh and um who directed four can you believe that how strange but um kenneth branner narrates it (laughs) a thing you get every single time there's a creature introduced it's i'm gonna put on i sound very stupid here but i'll try and put on my best kenneth branner voice this huge pterosaur has lived here for a hundred years he is the last of his kind and then and then (laughs) the next animal is introduced is oh it's proserius this Placerius has lived here in this pool for 50 years. He is the last of his kind. These days, Placerius is an endangered species. But, so, they, so every single creature you meet, that's how it's set up. And then, diddly loo, off the little animal goes on its adventure. And suddenly, over the, over the hill, a huge herd of Placerius. <laughs> Wait a minute, I thought you said they were an endangered species and there's absolutely loads of them. So... That's a it's a mm, it's a theme that's perpetuated throughout the whole of walking with dinosaurs. <laughs> it's it's, the last of his kind. Yeah. So anyway, so we don't get there isn't a bit in King it's Kong. A way, it's a way to make evolution have character, isn't it? And make uh, it feel uh, like a dramatic story <laughs> instead of just a bunch of stuff that happened, which is the truth. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there King, is no moral, it's just a bunch of stuff that happened. King Kong is wandering through Central Park. He is the last of his kind. But over the rise, a huge herd of Kong. <laughs> um, but he, King, yeah, Kong himself was just amazing. I mean, the again, sort of subtlety, nuance. His face is way more aggressive and scary than a gorilla. But then that's because you don't spend all your time hanging around with gorillas that are angry and shouty. They're generally just eating and uh, frowning. He's not, a, he's not a gorilla. He's not a gorilla. 
He's a yeah. angry super gorilla creature. It's it's not canon because it's not in either of the films, is it? That he's not um, he's not a gorilla. They don't say um, anything about him not being a gorilla in either of the films. No, and in fact, uh, what's the name of the main character? Not the main character. What's the name of the guy who who collects? Who's actually responsible for the procurement of Kong? Ah, oh, this is this is why you should do your homework beforehand. But. He actually says when he's on stage, he says, I am now laying my hand on the 25-foot-tall gorilla. So so there you go, proof. Yeah. That's, uh, yes. uh, well, yeah. unless he's just an ignoramus, <laughs> which he could be. People get these things wrong all the time, don't they? they? What do people know about non-human hominids in the 1930s? Very little, I think you'll find. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, that's probably enough. I think we're done. We should. We need to do the wrap up. We do. We do. Um, wrap up. So we've <laughs> recently published a fantastic cryptozoology-based book. If you're interested in cryptozoology, you're interested in tetrapodzoology, any of the stuff we talk about, uh, then you have to buy this book. It's called Cryptozoologicon, and it's volume one because uh, we're working on volume two at the moment, and we should be able to talk about that fairly soon. Yes, well, I think we can sort of put a tentative date on that. I think we're hoping to have it out in about March, by about March. About, about March, okay. And uh, obviously it's the follow-up to our highly successful and much lauded, is that the right word? Um, the previous volume, All Yesterday's. Darren, venerated. <laughs> much venomosited, uh, All Yesterday's, which, which was brilliantly received. Everybody loved it. And... Uh, too short. Too short. <laughs> Illustrations are terrible. <laughs> There's also uh, a book called Tetrapod's Audio Book One, which is available from all good digital retailers and the bad ones as well. But it won't be around for much longer because I think it's going out of print. I've got to do the next one. So um, I tweet at. But it's supposed to be freezing. <laughs> How am I going to dry all of her clothes? I don't know. At TetZoo. And I run a little blog site called Tetrabod Zoology, which is currently hosted at Scientific American. Um, it's Tetrabod Zoology Facebook page. What about you? Um, I'm at johnconway.co. I tweet. You can find my Twitter at johnconway.co. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm also on Google+, Plus, although I don't update that very often. Are you on Google+, Google. Plus, Darren? No, I hate it. It's lame. I was on it for a while, but just... <laughs> Sorry, Google+, Plus, you, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> so, that okay, so, of... so take that google plus and um i think i think we should introduce our new segment after you no you first go on oh, i forgot what it's called hang on what is it's it? called it's is called it cash request questions <laughs> <laughs> right so we haven't thought this through very carefully but the notion is that if you donate to the podcast you can suggest a topic, and we'll do it. If it's if it's obviously it's got to be Tetsu related, um, on sort of vaguely on topic, and yeah, any sort of animals or anything like that's fine, right, Darren? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, and we will give priority to the bigger donations. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to say how much you should be donating, but <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> obviously, if you want to get your topic discussed, well. You should, you should, you should be better safe than sorry, right? <laughs> so that's cash for questions. 
We should okay, say then? that. Yeah, yeah. The, <coughs> the title was um, inspired by a genuine one of those something gate scandals that happened at uh, the uh, House of Commons here in the UK. Cash for question scandal. <laughs> anyway, um, we should say thank you to people who have donated to the podcast before, and um, thank you for covering our uh, hosting costs and. Thank you yes. to everyone who's yeah yeah sent in witty banter and yeah okay yeah so that's all good don't forget cash for questions <laughs> oh do you want to do a noise <laughs> will that do <laughs> <laughs> now you got me got it okay yeah right. should we stop we're going to be stopped now.